So with AI, I think my big thought here is it's going to be really, really helpful for us for the first wave. I mean, I think we're not in the first wave. We're kind of in, <laughs> we've had AI, you know, if you think about Halo or even World of Warcraft, those uh, enemies in that game were programmed with AI, right? And so you're battling it out. I mean, I, I've played a computer chess game before. What is that? That's AI, right? So it's not the first wave, but whatever wave we're in, I think it's here to deliver us quite a lot of benefits. Podcast Junkies, episode 320. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are new to this show, if you're new to this podcast, because maybe the thought of hearing a little bit more about our next guest, Jack Resider, pulled you in. I'm glad you're here. This is a great conversation. I've had Jack in my radar for many, many years. We started podcasting around the same time, and it's been exciting to see how his show has grown in popularity. And... I just never got around to getting them invited on the show. And we connected through something we were commenting on in Twitter. And uh, that's how it happened. And that's how most stuff happens in my world. If you are a regular listener, then you're going to enjoy this conversation just as much. And I appreciate you coming back week in and week out, whether you've been here since episode one or just found us a few episodes ago. I really appreciate you coming back and sharing with other people your stories of how much you're enjoying this show in socials and wherever else you have an opportunity to. I'm grateful to all audiences. As I'm recording this in July 2023, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention all the buzz last week around Meta's new social app, Threads. I've been diving in, and as with all things related to promotion, and especially for this audience podcast related, I think I... <laughs> I think I want to leave this in. I just was had my breath taken away. I'm sitting in my office in the suburbs of uh, Minneapolis, and I've got a patio door that goes out to woods in the back of the office where I'm at. And occasionally I'll throw out some corn because there's animals that come through, turkeys and deer. And just as I'm recording this, I just caught a glimpse of a buck just uh, grazing outside the window. So caught me off guard. <laughs> Anyways, the joys of podcasting life. So like I was saying, Threads, it's been a fantastic journey for me because as some of you might know, I have a weekly newsletter that goes out. It's more of a letters. I, I don't even think of it as a newsletter or anything marketing related. For the past eight months, I've been sending out just uh, maybe about a thousand words or less about things that have been going on in my life. And you can sign up if you haven't signed up already at harryduran.com. I talk about anything I'm doing as well as anything I produced that week. And that would be anything I do for this show, any episodes that have gone live or any episodes that have gone live from my other show, which you may or may not know about. It's called the Vertical Farming Podcast. So I'm trying to pause here and share a little bit more about what's going on in my life. Sometimes I just jump into the promo for the episodes or I'm a little busy, so I just want to knock this intro out. But Given what's happening in my world, I thought I might take a, a breath and, and pause and, and share that with you. So on Threads, Meta's new app, it focuses on writing. It's a Twitter clone and clone for lack of a better name, but essentially it's a feed of people's thoughts. And what I'm doing is really spending about a couple of minutes a day, more than a couple of minutes actually, probably about 15, 20 minutes a day, and writing thoughts that um, are top of mind for me, that also help me practice that writing muscle. Now, if you look at my other social profiles, because it's tied directly to your Instagram account, if you click on any of those profiles and then you click my Threads version of those, you'll see that they all point back to my Threads account, which is connected to my Instagram account. I know it gets a little complicated here, but it's I am Harry Duran. So I recently changed my profile names on Twitter and Instagram to I am Harry Duran, so you can find me easily there. But what I've done, rather than start brand new Threads accounts for all these podcasts, my podcast junkies, my vertical farming podcast, and a couple of others I have related to my DJ life, for the Threads version of those, I'm linking back to the one and only Threads account I have. So if you go to threads.net forward slash I am Harry Duran, if you don't want to sign up, you can actually see my latest posts there. All that to say, for you as a podcaster, if you're looking to engage on a more personal level with your audience, you might want to give it a shot. Keep in mind that the two accounts are inextricably linked. So if you delete your Threads account, you'll end up deleting your Instagram account. So if you don't want to have a Threads account floating around in the public because you decide to bail after a couple of weeks, you may want to give it some thought. So take a look at what I'm posting there 
and see if something like that might be helpful for you to start building up a connection with your audience. Last week, in case you missed it, I had a great conversation with Anne Klassen. She gave up a career in corporate law to backpack around Southeast Asia. And it was a pretty crazy choice, but she created a fantastic world for herself. And she's got a podcast called Digital Nomad Stories, a very, very inspiring, entrepreneurial-focused episode. Please check that out if you have not already. All right, as mentioned, I had a great conversation this episode with Jack Resider. He is the host of Darknet Diaries. We discussed the evolution of tech and the rise of AI. Jack's passion for audio storytelling really shines through because he shares how he crafts each episode of Darknet Diaries, and he uncovers these riveting stories of cybersecurity, which I found fascinating. We talk about podcasting, making unique artwork, collaborations, privacy concerns, China's ownership of TikTok, as you might imagine, anything privacy and tech related, we covered it on this episode. So again, as I mentioned, really grateful for the opportunity to connect with Jack and share his stories. I'm sure you'll find it just as fascinating as I did. If you're enjoying this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating or review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. If you have not done so and you are a regular listener, I would appreciate it if you did that. Please do so. They are the lifeblood of all podcasts and do that for your favorite shows as well. I'd be more than happy to read it out on a future episode. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. And if you don't know what it is, it's a way for you to share with me that you've made it all the way to the end of the episode and it's related to this week's content. Okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Jack, here are a few words from the folks, the fantastic folks that support this show. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of this show, email me directly, harry at podcastjunkies.com. This episode's brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlet 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. Jack Resider, host of Darknet Diaries. Thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Happy to be here. I'm quite a podcast junkie myself. <laughs> Do you remember what the first one was that you ever listened to? Oh man, I think it was a World of Warcraft podcast. Okay. This was like when the iPod just like came out and to get a podcast, you had to get iTunes, download it, and then that's not enough to listen to it. You now need to <laughs> connect your iPod up to it, sync it over, and that was not a simple task. It was not user-friendly at all. And then you might be able to check it out, right? So it was like a five-step process. And uh, it was not a good show. And so, <laughs> I mean, I should say that I think I fell in love with NPR, right? This American Life, Radio Lab, this sort of thing. And I was listening to those radio shows a lot and just like so amazed when you, you're driving somewhere and you get somewhere and it's a story about a suitcase, which you never don't, you don't <laughs> care about suitcases or something, right? Yeah. But you bark somewhere and you're like, I got to hear how this suitcase gets end up, ends up where it's going or something. And you're totally glued, even though you're just sitting in your car, like listening to it. And so I, that's where I first realized the power of just audio storytelling. And of course, that all turned into podcasts later. But I think that's where I first fell in love with it. And how long did you play World of Warcraft? Oh, I played a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, it was a big obsession of mine. I only played for like the, the original release and the first expansion, though. Okay. What's your first introduction to... Um, to tech on the internet that you can remember? Yeah, I think my grandma somehow got a computer okay. which was expensive and high tech. And I don't know why she was dabbling in it, but she's just like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to try one of these. And I was like, what's, what's going on with this? And I got into it, right? I was yeah. playing video games on there. I was learning to type. Eventually, we got AOL and uh, got online. And I just was in love. So I think I was curious about it. And it was kind of a fun toy before the internet but then once we got AOL and it connected to the internet I fell in love with computers and I've been in love ever since it's always just like so cool to just connect to the whole world and share ideas and see what everyone else is doing it's amazing I think that was the one thing that AOL was trying to like sort of like a finger in the dike moment where they're trying to prevent people from like seeing like the other side of like what was actually out there and you had this like veiled wall of like the AOL chat rooms and all the little 
instant messages stuff that was going on. They were trying to create all these little channels for people to for specific topics. But what people really wanted to do is just like get past that and, and just break out into like the internet, which was like for me, it was just like Egypt and pyramids and just like, oh wow, like pages that would take like minutes to load. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about that. AOL really did try to just keep you in their ecosystem. It's like, we've got the internet right here. Don't worry about going anywhere else. We've got the chat rooms. We've got the, the Wikipedia-like thing, you know, a little dictionary and some news. And that was it. Like anything that AOL hosted is what AOL wanted to show you first and foremost. But you're right. It was advanced users that were... Do you remember getting the, you remember getting the CDs? Yeah, I had the CD and the free hours and all that. <laughs> And so when did you discover or start to become aware of some of these uh, hidden places in the internet or like these darker, darker spaces? Yeah, I guess it was AOL, right? So these chat rooms and somebody's like, oh, you know, there's IRC. And I was like, what's IRC? And they're like, it's a different chat program. I was like, oh, I got to check that out, right? And so now I'm like, oh, wow, AOL isn't, or the internet isn't just AOL. There's a lot more to it. And so IRC allowed me to connect to other things, FTP servers and Telnet servers and BBS boards. And, and I mean, BBS is a bit different. It's a little bit of a, you got to disconnect from AOL and connect to it. But it was like, wow, there's the internet is more than just a website. And I think a lot of people even today, if you ask them what's the internet, and they're going to say Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the website. And, the, and there's more to it. I mean, Zoom isn't Google, right? Yeah. The phone calls aren't Google. Like there's just <laughs> a lot of things that are going on on the internet. And so I was just like, what are all the protocols? What are all the things people are doing and how are people connecting? And it was fascinating to me. One of the first things I really got into was MUDS, is multi-user dungeon. And this is a text-based version of World of Warcraft, basically, right? So it's like you go and you say slash monster and then you type it in and then the monster attacks you for five points and you attack it for seven points and it just goes back and forth. It's like Dungeons and Dragons, but automatically calculating every attack and everything. It was like Zork, wasn't it? You remember Zork? Yeah, it was like Zork. But this, so MUDs were online. So you could go and attack other players and stuff. It was a lot of fun. And uh, like this was, um, I think that was port 6667 or something like, yeah, I can't remember the port, but it was like now we've got other ports besides 80 and 443 and, and chat and stuff. So now like what else is going on out there? So it's just, yeah, this is where I started you know, IRC, you get on IRC, there's a chat rooms. Now you've got the pirating chat rooms and the hacker chat rooms and <laughs> all kinds of other things that are going on. The phone freaker chat rooms. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a counterculture space. When did you, education wise, did you, did you realize that this is something you want to dig into and learn more about and, and get formally trained on? Are you self-taught or like how that path, how that journey go for you? Yeah, absolutely. I was like, I love computers. What can I do with this? And there was a school that was like, we'll give you a bachelor's in computers if that's what you want. I was like, sure, let's go. So I did four years at a university studying computers, you know, and getting a bachelor's of computer engineering, which is just a little bit about everything regarding computers. And I didn't really feel super smart in one area, which was kind of a, I don't know, it gave me kind of a lull in my career. I'm just like, what am I, a programmer, a system admin? Like, I don't even know what I'm, am I a designer? Like, what am I here? And I just didn't feel really confident in anything. Was there aspects of it that you did like that you wanted to dig in deeper and learn more about? Yeah, I mean, I liked creating stuff and I, I like building. So I really wish I had better programming skills because I felt like, what I, everything I made looked like it was, you know, something Homer Simpson made, right? It's kind of put together with duct tape and twine and stuff. And like, here's my website or something. Like, oh, that kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but I wish I was better at it, right? What's your take on all the tools now that make some of this stuff easy? First, it was the no code wave, but now it's the no code plus the AI wave, which is pretty bonkers when you see some of the stuff that's being created. And especially now with like ChatGPT4 is getting everyone all excited. I'm wondering, you know, with your history in computers and kind of seeing trends and like what's your take on what's happening i mean when we were started there was no there was no help there was no tools there was there was a manual written by like somebody who has no skill at writing manuals and doesn't want to really help anyone but it was their job <laughs> and it's like this is help this manual sucks and everyone always points to it like read the manual man i'm like yeah there it's not gonna work the whole series of books. What is it? O'Reilly or what was that? Uh, there was like all these books on every single operating system and every single PC. 
Aurelia. Yeah, O'Reilly did start making a whole bunch of more helpful books. But yeah, it, I think uh, it was just really hard. And, and as time goes on, things just get easier. It's like, oh, well, you don't have to do the... Like, uh, you know, the, I think the big first big thing was WYSIWYG editors, right? So at first you had to type all the HTML and CSS and put everything exactly where you wanted. But now with the WYSIWYG editor, it's what you see is what you get, which is drag and drop the buttons onto the page and just like it's designed visually instead of coding. And so that was like that, that we thought was going to like wreck all the designers, you know, futures like, oh, we just got this tool to do it and made it easier. But you didn't really have that fine tuned control. And it was very bloated with the way it designed the website. So I think people are still typing out their websites by hand in, uh, even today. So that didn't quite kill the industry. And I think a lot of these tools are, in my opinion, a lot of them are just simply like proof of concept or just a basic version of something. And they don't really have that richness to fulfill like a premium product kind of feeling. I've tried a couple no-code apps and to build a couple no-code apps. And I'm just like, why are you calling this no-code when I'm still doing a lot of coding here? Like if I want to connect to an API or a database or something, I've got to go in there and I've got to do a lot of coding to make that work. So I don't really understand how no code even calls itself that because it's it's a lot of code to me still. <laughs> <laughs> and then what's your take on what's happening with uh, people being worried about the, losing their jobs with AI? I think we've always had that. Like as technology goes on, you're just like, oh man, this is going to totally change everything. I mean... I think there was a worry that the post office was thinking, oh, well, email, we don't, nobody's ever going to send a letter anymore. <laughs> but like the post office is busier than ever, right? Open seven days a week. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just going to take us to a next level. I don't think it's going to wreck the job industry as much as we think. I think it's going to open up all kinds of new jobs. But there is some, um, like, I think the current state of AI is where it's kind of an idea generator. It's given you like a Pinterest board kind of concept. Like here's some things I found and it's like, oh, cool. I can build off that. But it's not like, hey, here's a 400 page novel. That's brilliant. Like, no, like some of this isn't factual. Some of this doesn't make any sense. Like you start scrutinizing it and there's a lot of holes in it. So it doesn't quite give you a final draft yet. And I think it'll get there. But so with AI, I think my big thought here is it's going to be really, really helpful for us for the first wave. I mean, I think we're not in the first wave. We're kind of in, <laughs> we've had AI, you know, if you think about Halo or even World of Warcraft, those uh, enemies in that game were programmed with AI, right? And so you're battling it out. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've played a computer chess game before. What is that? That's AI, right? So it's not the first wave, but whatever wave we're in, I think it's here to deliver us quite a lot of like uh, benefits, right? There, we're going to be able to see a doctor 24-7 any moment of the day without an appointment because it's going to be an AI doctor and they're going to be better at diagnosing who we are, better at understanding who we are, never taking a sick day and just being there for us. They don't get tired. Yeah, as much as we want. So it's going to be great to just have this like at our fingertips, a doctor to contact at any moment. And so I think the first wave is really going to, we're going to see a lot of great stuff. And it is going to have some weird moments where people are going to, I think the era of, well, I, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get a job and I'm going to have that job for life is over. I think we have to kind of look to redefine ourselves every five or 10 years and get like a whole new skill set because technology is advancing in a rapid way. And it's not uh, something you can just set for your life anymore. You have to say, okay, well, there's this new system. I, I either learn that or I die. <laughs> and so, yeah, you kind of have to just be more prepared for change in the future. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're listening to these NPR shows, you get inspired by podcasts. What makes you think uh, or gives you the idea that you want to start your own? And, and how do you think about a topic and, and, and what to start? So I was uh, a network security engineer for 10 years. Okay. And I was listening, or, you know, I was like defending networks and doing cybersecurity kind of stuff. And at the same time, I'm listening to shows like This American Life and Radio Lab, and I was like, where is the This American Life for cybersecurity stories? Because these stories are like high drama, high crime, big impact, hitting millions of people, causing you know million-dollar thefts. 
these are all big stories. And sometimes even the president gets on TV and is like, we're investigating the alleged Chinese hacking incidents or something, you know, like, wow, even if the president is coming on the news to tell us this, this is um, worth like a really good story. Like somebody should get this story, put it together and publish it highly produced with music and interviews and journalist kind of method. And I could not find it nowhere. I was like, <laughs> dude, I, this, why isn't anyone making this? So I just couldn't do it. And I wanted it. I loved podcasts so much. I was really into podcasts at the time. And I was like, I got to, I got to give it a try. So it was to make, it was to scratch my own itch. And so I think uh, I remember in the early because I started with Lipson and I know that, I don't know if you're still with Lipson, but I know Rob Walsh would, would mention your show occasionally or something like that in, in those early days because I think you were just getting started or talk a little bit about the, the setup process, how you created the format for the show and what those early days were like. Yeah. So I was highly inspired by Snap Judgment, Radio Lab, and uh, This American Life. And I was like, okay, that's kind of the style here, but I'm just going to find cybersecurity stories and talk about that. And so- you know, finding the story. Well, I need something that has drama, suspense, a twist, is interesting, and then is, you know, hacker related. So, you know, finding those stories is, was not so hard. I've been paying attention to the news for a long time. There's a lot of really interesting stories. I mean, there's a story of, you know, when Anonymous attacked a hospital because they thought somebody was wrongly committed to the hospital, right? They were being held against their parents' will or something like that. And so they're like, we're going to attack the hospital. Well, you take a hospital down. And now you got other patients that are getting, you know, a hit. And then what's crazy is that when the police says, okay, well, we think we know who it is. Let's go to their house. The guy goes on the run. He gets a boat and takes off in the Caribbean ocean or the oh Caribbean God. sea, right? <laughs> and tries to run from the police in a boat. Oh like God. it's a crazy story. <laughs> but he was he part of Anonymous? Yeah. And his girlfriend's on the boat and it's just a wild. And then his boat gets shipwrecked out in the sea. Oh my God. And the cruise ship comes by and sees his distress call and picks him up on a cruise ship and then gets arrested on the cruise ship. I, I mean, this is like just one of story that I'm seeing on the news that I'm like, that's a great story right there. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, let's find more stories like that, put it together. And then the, the, I was like, well, how do people do this? So I learned the book I bought was called Out on the Wire. And this is interviews of people like Roman Mars and Jad Abumrad and Gyra Glass, you know, the, the shows that I just mentioned earlier. And they talk about how they've done storytelling in the past and how it works for them. So I was like, this is it. This is my template. I mean, they had formulas for how to tell a story, the, this, how to tell a story. This is a story about X, but Y happens instead. And that puts you in the right frame set of like, okay, we're not just going straight for here's what happened. We got to start in one direction. Here's a story about a hacker trying to hack a, a hospital, but instead he goes on the run and gets caught and he gets shipwrecked and all this kind of stuff, right? It's like a twist in there. So you learn like how to add those twists, how to put those into context and make it interesting for the listener. So after reading that book, I thought, okay, I think I have the basics and I, I put together my first episode and I sent it to 10 friends and I was like, what do you think? Is this something I should work on? And I think like seven of them didn't even open the email, right? They're just like, Psh. but the three that did, they were like, oh, this is great. You need to make more of this. Go, go, go. And that was the encouragement I needed to let it rip. How much time now goes into each episode? Oh man, at least um, 40 hours of work. Really? Wow. It's a lot of effort for each episode. I mean, I've got to research the story. I've got to find the guests, source them, interview them, and then, you know, write the narration and edit it together and assemble it and put the music in and yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes in. And are you still surprised that you're, it looks like you're at 133 episodes in so far, but in terms of the ability to find stories or is it just because we're so connected, there's more people online, there's more people trying to take advantage of people that you feel like you'll never run out of stuff to talk about? I'll never run out of stuff. That's for sure. There's um, endless stories there. The, the cybersecurity news is just flowing every day. And it's crazy fascinating how much is going on. I mean, you got North Korea hacking into Bangladesh Bank for a billion dollars, right? Like trying to steal that. You've got NSA hacking into other countries and, and you know, taking over networks and stuff. And then you have teenagers just attacking each other and, you know, hitting Minecraft servers or something like that, you know? And then, of course, there's money to be stolen and it's just endless stuff. But what's kind of progressed through the time is, you know, at first, nobody knew who I was. So I was, you know, tapping on a lot of shoulders. Hey, can you come talk on my show? And 
like mostly crickets, but every now and then it would be, oh, okay, sure. But now I've kind of established myself. So now it's the opposite. People are approaching me saying, I don't know who you are, but I just got out of prison and I've been told to talk to you. <laughs> like, well, that's curious. <laughs> what can I see your indictment? And it's like, they're talking about you in prison. That's great. Yeah. I, I, well, I hacked, you know, I was accused of hacking Microsoft and Ubisoft and like, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, let's see what, let's hear it. You know, you know so. Those are the stories I like as well, is once it's all over and all the dust is settled, now let's go back to the beginning and tell it, right? So here's a story now where it's like, we could tell the whole thing, how you got arrested and even all the prison time and what you're doing when you got out. And I think that's when the news is ready. That's when it's ripe. I really don't like news that's like, well, that just has, I just have more questions than <laughs> now that I have any answers. It just doesn't make sense. Like nothing of this news story makes sense. Somebody needs to research this more. I can't stand that, right? And and then there's all this speculation. Well, we think they did this and we think they did that. And we don't really know who did it or what they took. And like, why are you even reporting this? <laughs> there's no story there yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to wait three years until it's we have the info. And then that's when I like telling it. And then now that you've got this whole, like, you know, I've seen that there's a, a lot of folks that are supporting you in each of these shows, and you've got a, a long list of credits for people that are helping with everything from production to artwork to probably the, the research. And so what does this look like now from a, is it turned into a business for you? And I, I know you've got merch. And, and so talk a little bit about how that's grown and how that's matured the, the, the show itself. Yeah. I think there's three money streams. There's the ads in the episodes. There is Patreon subscribers and Apple podcast subscribers and shirts. So I think one of the things that I liked about other shows like Criminal, for example, Criminal had Criminal was very inspirational to me as well, because this was a you listen to This American Life or Radio Lab, and the credits are so long. There's like 13 people working on every episode. And I'm like, yeah. I don't have 13 people here. <laughs> And so I found criminal and criminal basically has two people. And I was like, okay, I could do the work of two people. I don't think that's like totally out of, out of line. And so that was very influential to me. I was like, okay, what is the show that made by two people sound like? And so I also noticed that they have unique artwork on every episode and they have this whole kind of brand and motif. And I was like, this is really cool where, you know, an audio show doesn't necessarily need any artwork. And you even look at like the top three podcasts out there at the the daily joe rogan and stuff you should know if you go to any of their websites well okay so so joe rogan's website is like the world's worst looking website it's absolutely zero artwork at all it's just a listing of the episodes stuff you should know's website is absolutely zero effort as well i mean and and these these are the most popular podcasts in the whole world right yeah and so I was like, that sucks. You guys really are missing like a, a golden opportunity here, but you do you. And then the daily, like it's artwork is just the daily. There's no information. There's no cool art or anything on there. So I was like, man, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. I want something that's got more style, more attitude, more flavor, brings you in. It sucks you in. It, it, it brings your curiosity out. And I also think of like, there's some bands out there that have a real interesting style as well. Like White Stripes, for instance, has like this red, white, and black motif to it. And I don't know, there's just something stylistic about it that is interesting. It's like, yeah, it's branding. It's an identity. Yeah. So I had a lot of creative ideas on visuals as well. So I took all that and I, I drew out the pictures and I concepted artwork. And then I gave it to an artist to kind of make look great. And then we got some really cool artwork. And so I've been making that into shirts. And I think people don't necessarily want to have their podcast, their favorite podcast, just big letters on their shirt, but maybe they want to support the podcast and be kind of in this cool, like, if you know, you know, kind of thing. And so I don't really even put my show's name on a, most of the shirts. I just have cool artwork and then they can still kind of, you know, support the show, but then have cool shirts to just hang out with without necessarily, you know, advertising if they want, you know, it's up to them. So there's shirts with the name on it, shirts without. And yeah, it does pretty good. Those shirts sell, you know, a few a day. Yeah. I think uh, what's interesting about the branding is it's, to your point, if you know, you know, and, and there's that one, you've got the bird with the CCTV as its head or something like that, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> and, you know, and then you got the supers. Yeah. A lot of mashup ideas. Like one of my favorites is like a bunch of network cables and computer cables, but 
decorated into a, like a flower bouquet. So it looks like flowers and stuff, but it's just computer cables and yeah, like a, a bird with a camera head and some other stuff that. So based on the stories that you, you've told and you're getting these stories out into the open, do you have folks now, news agencies or other shows contacting you to kind of get the, the inside scoop on, on some of these stories that a lot of people probably don't know about? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who, I don't know, they've been given a story and they're just like, I don't know where to start with this, but I'll ask Jack because he seems to know <laughs> like the ins and outs of this. So they're needing help on some stories of like, what's going on in the dark net? Have you been there? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you. I live there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do get some, I do get reached out by some journalists to help out on some stuff. I also get journalists contacting me like, hey, I've got a story that I think would work really good on your show as well. So yeah, I, I do get connect, connected there. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's opened up a million doors to me. I didn't know I'd ever meet this many people or like go these many places with my podcast. This is really incredible. It's, it's way beyond all dreams or goals, like so far beyond. So for the benefit of the listener, obviously, if you're just listening there, and there's going to be no video anyway, but uh, you do have your face hidden. And I'm wondering when that started, was that always a concern privacy for you or just because of the nature of the show or i'm just curious how that started to, to percolate in terms of like your visibility online yeah i mean a few things you know i've been putting stuff online for a while just because i've been online right so i i made some videos and put them on youtube and that sort of thing and somebody liked the videos so much that they were like this is you know 10 years ago they're like oh i'm your i love what you're making i'm your biggest fan and i i didn't reply and so then they like dm'd me on youtube and i didn't reply and so then they're like oh i gotta find this guy so they they like searched like a mountain in the background or something and they found out like what city i was in just based on that and then you know they triangulated like okay well he's you know next to this tree here or something and it's like he's on the roof of his house in this shot and they figured out exactly where I lived. Oh my god! And then they looked up the county records, and they were like, "Okay, this is the guy's name, and this is where he lives." And then they they took it a step further, like, "Well, we're, wonder where he works." And so they found where I work, and then emailed me at work, "Hey, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> I love what you're making." And so I had this like kind of scare early on of, "Wow, the internet is a scary place, and people are just going to stalk me in ways that I am not comfortable with." So I, I really tried to pull back from that. I I started blurring my face, not showing locations, learning more about OSINT techniques, right? So where you can use open source tools to find this information. And one of the really helpful books to me is called Extreme Privacy, What It Takes to Disappear. And it just really helps you get that extra layer between you and the internet so that the people on online can't necessarily identify you or, or find you or whatever. And I think that, I think we should all have that level of concern instead of just like, okay, I've lost all my privacy. Here you go. Here's my kids' pictures and what they're doing and my sexual orientation and where I live. And here's the vacations I'm going. Like, I don't like all this. I don't agree with it. I think it's one of those situations where, like, I feel like in the 90s, we kind of ruined the environment a bit, right? We had all these oil spills and just awful things going on. And it's going to take us decades to put that genie back in the bottle of like getting the environment back together. And I think the, you know, the 2000s is where we really ruined our privacy and it's going to take us decades to put that back together. Because, I mean, even when you trust a company like your healthcare provider and then they have a data breach and now China knows everything about your health records, it's like, why is this even a thing? Why is all this happening? This is awful. Like, I don't want to give you any of my information. I just want to come and get my teeth cleaned and leave. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how much, how invasive it is in terms of what people ask for. And what are your thoughts on TikTok? Because obviously I'm not on it. And I think part of the reason is because of the privacy and the fact that it's China watching and getting scans of everybody's face, which is really creepy. And I'm, I'm just curious, you know, having an inside track to see what's possible. You know, what are some of the, the concerns that people probably take for, for, for granted, you know, that they probably should be worrying a little bit more about? Yeah, I mean, I don't like it. I'm very much present on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Reddit, <laughs> Discord, but not on TikTok, right? And this is because Facebook is like an American company. So they're going to do some evil things. They're going to spy on us and collect our data and collect like a million things. I think Spotify might even be one of the biggest offenders. Apple does it too, Google. Like they're just collecting tons and tons and tons of our our behavior. Like it's not just like, 
your age and, and stuff. But like, if you ask for your information from Spotify, they'll give it to you and they'll be like, you listen to this song for five seconds and then you totally switch to a different genre and tried three songs there and then went to a different, like, like they know everything that you've ever done to give you that kind of, here's what we think you might like next kind of thing. And that, and that is kind of nice to be like, oh, this is cool. And that's what TikTok does so good is after you like four or five videos, they're just like, we know everything about you. And we're going to give you videos you love, like for endless amounts of time. And it's just like, how are you giving me such good stuff? This is amazing. And that's really <laughs> where their sweet sauce is, is how they can know this stuff about you and deliver it to you in a great way. So they do have a really cool platform. But yeah, it's Chinese owned. And so what is, what, what's the threat here with China? Well, China hacked into the OPM database, right? So this is the Office of Personnel Management. I think it was 12 million US government employees data was collected and put into the hands of Chinese. They hacked into Marriott. They hacked into Anthem. They hacked into the uh, Experian. Was it? No, Equifax, right? So Equifax, the data, the credit bureau, yeah. Credit bureau had a data breach and it turned out to be China. And China wants as much information on as many Americans as possible. And they are sucking it up, private, personal data, and using it for, I don't know what, but they're actively doing that. And so now you've got this TikTok company, a Chinese-based company, that are in the hands of millions of people, in the pockets, in the private areas of millions of people in the US. Of course, China is absolutely going to be like, we. if you want to continue doing business in China, we want that data. And they really don't have an option other than to give it up to the Chinese government. So in my opinion, absolutely 100% of that data is being shared with the Chinese government and used, I don't know, to carry out nefarious plans. And I don't like that. So I do not want to be part of TikTok for that reason. Yeah, I think if when you watch movies like The Social Dilemma and you see like the algorithm at work to create posts and create fake accounts to to drum up like you know, narratives of sides fighting against each other. If you think about the bigger picture, what would China love more than just to have U.S. citizens like fighting each other over like Republican versus Democrat or pick the flavor of the battle? But if you can, you know, sort of like artificially create that anger with people with social media posts and you know what makes people angry and you know what people like. And to your point, like you're learning all these things about people's behaviors and music and and attitudes and you've got their face and stuff. It's it's really crazy. You don't really have to go too far or be too creative to be thinking about what's possible and what could be done. Because I think what they've said now is like, there's no more land wars. Everything's going to be, be fought online. You're disabling like electrical grids and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, I did an episode similar to that called PSYOP, where we talk about how the U.S. government, the U.S. Army in particular, does psychological operations against other enemy nations. And one of the things that, you know, some nations have done is tried to get one nation to attack another so that they don't have to go to war with that nation, right? It's not even a proxy war. It's just like, let's just make these two fight to waste their resources, which makes us in a better position. So, yeah, I mean, stuff like that absolutely is going on. I was listening to your recent episode with uh, about uh, Connor and just the quick recap, but I'll encourage folks to to check it out and I'll provide a link to it. But essentially someone was posing as this guy to apply for a job using this guy's like resume. And he, he jumped on the call with the recruiter and he got to listen in the background while this guy was pretending to be him. And it's like, I don't even think that I'm aware that stuff like this happens, but I mean, obviously it's in your sphere all the time, but just like people are just going out of their way and they don't have to work too hard to kind of use existing resources and use your own information for their own benefit, which is, so creepy when you think about it, but it's it's happening nonstop if you think about just like robocalls and people preying on like the elderly and stuff like that. It's like, how do you even like sleep at night with the stuff that you know? Yeah, I know, right? Well, it's it's one of those things you either uh you either die a hero or you become a villain. <laughs> <laughs> Live long enough to be a villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you gotta like, like like just notice it and be like, okay, so how am I protecting myself against that? And what am I doing here to watch out for that sort of thing. And so, you know, I think um, tax fraud is a big thing. A lot of people are filing taxes on your behalf and getting a tax return for you. 
but it's going into their pockets. So, you know, filing taxes early and putting a pin on your tax system, I think that's possible so that you have to have that in order to submit it and freezing your credit, you know, so that people don't take credit on your name. And because I mean, we are talking about identity fraud, right? So what can people do? They can, they can take loans out on your name or, or, you know, do things as you. And yeah, so it's, uh, it's interesting to just kind of go into how that's done and what to do against it. How do you think about where you're at in terms of like your relationship to privacy? And as you start to, you know, obviously continue to have conversations, do you feel, um, sometimes it feels like a tidal wave and it's hard to even like think about what you can do to stop something. But I, I know you mentioned the book as well, but do you have like close friends constantly hitting you up for like uh, suggestions on, on what to do to protect themselves? Yeah, I, I think the ones that hit me up are the are the worst stories, right? It's like I had an ex-husband or boyfriend that's constantly putting malware on my phone and won't leave me alone and has a tracker on my car and, you know, like all this like awful stuff that's just like, constantly keeping track and how do i get rid of this <laughs> like oh my gosh this is a big deal like and so it then that's that's scary to think that your biggest threat is a person who's sleeping in the bed with you maybe not now but you know if this relationship goes sour or maybe it is now too because sometimes that's happening where husbands don't trust their wives or something like that even though the husband's the one who's cheating <laughs> Yeah. So there's a lot of people who ask me for a lot of crazy things. Um, another funny thing is like, people are asking me like, Hey, can you hack into my girlfriend's <laughs> stuff? Like, no, oh, man. Let's, let's talk about this. Okay. This is not going to end well for you. It's, you're not going to get the information you want. You're not going to be happy. There's a bigger problem at play if you, if that's a request that you have. So what has this done for you? Like, uh, personally, when you think about, you know, when you got started in network security, I'm sure you saw stuff there that was probably like, if people only knew how easy it was just to break into some of these companies' systems, you know, which you knew firsthand. And, you know, the joke is like the admin password is admin <laughs> for all these systems. And so, you know, the complexity of these sort of things is getting more and more and bigger. And so how do you think about where we are in the world in terms of like, is this just something that we have to live with because of the nature of technology and how easy it is to do these things that there'll always be bad people They just have access to more sophisticated tools to do them? Oh, yeah, I think there's always going to be bad people. And it, it creates kind of an unfair dynamic, too, because you've got these bad people who are using this to their advantage. And the good people don't quite do that, typically, right? So like, you know, election rigging, for example, like the good people aren't going to be rigging elections, but the bad people might. And so it's like, oh, my gosh, this is uh, like, how do you fight this war? One side has an unfair advantage of they don't mind. <laughs> There's a quote from the TV show, the secret ingredients crime. Like, <laughs> oh, okay, that's how we're getting away with this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you add crime into it, it really does make everything difficult. Like, you're, isn't, you're not allowed to do that. Okay, but I'm breaking the rules. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, man, well, I, I guess we didn't think somebody was going to break the law. Yeah. Do you see get to see like a flip side of this? And I know the show is called Darknet Diaries, but do you ever get to see like a positive side to some of the stuff that's happening or some of these stories that end up, you know, doing something good or maybe even just creating a spotlight on something that people didn't know much about? Yeah, I mean, the way I like to look at security is it's kind of like the brakes of a car. You don't want to think of brakes of the car as the things that slow you down and stop you. What's great about the brakes of the car is that it lets us go fast. We would never go over 20 miles an hour if we didn't have brakes. We'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not going to be able to stop this thing, so <laughs> don't get going quick on there. But because we got good brakes, we can go fast. We can go 100 miles an hour, and we're fine. That's totally fine. We'll be safe. And that's what I think is great, right? So, so security gives you that ability to go fast and do crazy things online because we can do it in a safe way. The first time when somebody said, here... You can buy something online, enter your credit card. I was like, no way. But now it's like so ubiquitous to what we do every day that is because of security. Security enabled us to allow us the safety to put our credit cards online and our data online. And we just can't let it slack because we see how bad that can go if it does. Have you inspired any of your friends or close friends to become more private with their online presence, you know, given their relationship to you or given what they've, they've heard on the show? 
Well, I definitely, the listeners have, have reached out quite a bit and been like, why? I did not know how bad I was at doing this. And I'm so glad that I heard you because now I'm like taking it seriously. Or I have, uh, you know, like we gave this episode to our boss and now our boss has approved budget for us to secure our stuff. And people have changed careers to be like, I've always been curious and interested in computers. I didn't know I could hack for a living. And that was the thing that I can do. Because, I mean, people pay hackers to get in to see if they're vulnerable, right? So you have this penetration testing model. And so now you could just hack for a living and be a professional hacker. And that's great. You can have a lot of fun doing it. So yeah, people are just like, did not know that there is a whole career path here that you can do and love that I'm sharing it with them. How do you feel about your own privacy, given that the changes you've had to make because of, I mean, that story you just shared about that person tracking you down is, is scary enough of, in and of itself. And I think it's always weird when I see people posting like photos of their kids online. I was like, man, if you only knew what people could probably do with that information. So I probably err on the side of like worrying too much, but what's your relationship with just privacy in general been since you've started to show and, and what is it like now? Yeah, I think the bigger I get, the more popular my show gets, the more private I want to become. And the less, um, I don't know, mousy I get online as well, right? You get you start talking about things that are pa you're passionate about on Twitter or something, and it, you start running into like a big war with other people. And so I'm just like, you know what? That's this. I don't want to spend my time doing that today. <laughs> I'm just going to not say anything, right? So <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of weird because it's like, well, I had this big personal win in my life or a terrible thing that happened or something. And I really can't share photos or things about it because it might be too personal. And so, yeah, there's ups and downs to it. It's nice to have have that privacy and to flex it when I want. And um, I think that's, I'd rather be an anonymous, wealthy person than a famous, like, not anonymous person, right? So, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't need my face to be recognized on the street or my name or anything like that. I just want people to like the craft I make. It's really interesting because, you you know, we talk a lot of people who are actors and, you know, performers, you know, that have, uh, you know, this audience that loves them and, and hates them, I guess, over time. And, and a lot of them, you know, you'll see over the years, they just <laughs> kind of like, be careful what you ask for, because they've got the wealth, but they, they have it through the visibility they have. And, and audiences can be very fickle and, and trolls abound <laughs> and are created, new ones are created every day. So I think it's, there's something to be said for doing what you're doing in, in relative privacy. Yeah, definitely. It's a much better thing if you can do it is to try to be private online. Do you find or make time to disconnect yourself from tech? A guy, it's a challenge for me because I love technology. I love computers. I love everything that it's done. Even this show, podcasting, I own a podcast agency. So it's been like, it's opened up so many doors for me, but I realize sometimes a lot of the meaningful connections I make throughout the week are, are through a screen. <laughs> and I'm, and even my girlfriend loves nature. She, she's the one who gets me out and about. And I'm, I'm, I have to make a conscious effort to live in that world or connect in that world more so because there's because of the pervasiveness of screens and i'm wondering what that's been like for you yeah i struggle with the same thing it's easy to just get on the screen and stick on the screen and have a lot of screen time but it's important to go outside and and face to face with others and get out in the world so yeah i, I play guitar and um go run do runs and get outside so I'm sure if you end up releasing anything, any music, it'll be under an alias, I assume. Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> I don't think I'm good enough to release anything, but I might play some background music in an episode or something. Okay. Yeah, just curious, just as we wrap up, like, what is it, you excited about the, the future of the show and what are you working on? Yeah, the, oh, I've got some really good episodes coming out. So uh, some big ones, just like stories that are just really big that I've been like, well, I think I need to skill up a bit before I can work on this one because this is just going to require many interviews and a lot of time and, and just really, you got to be good at what you're doing to go on a big story like that. So I've got some big ones that I've been working on and I'm really excited. It it's, um, took a while for people to come out of the woodwork as well to, to talk about it. So it's like, if you ask me what my dream guest would be, it's always that one that would never, ever, ever do an interview ever in their life. But it's like, okay, I think my story needs to be out there. I'll tell it, you know? So it's like, I'm wanting the Russian hackers to be on the show or, the, <laughs> or, you know, 
Iranian hackers or something like the government ones, like if that could ever be, but that's never going to be right. So those are like where I want, and I haven't quite got there yet, but yeah, there's some really good stories I'm working on. So there's that. And I feel like I should write a book at some point just for people to have on their shelves and to be like what the fans can get into. And it kind of legitimizes you a little bit more. I think with podcasts, like even if a podcast is bigger than say a news agency or a TV show, people just still don't like give it that credit. Like the mass media, the news media feels like they're above it. They feel like they're more prestigious or bigger because they've got more, they don't even have more eyes and more, more listeners. This show, I mean, there's quite a bit of shows out there that have, that are bigger than say a TV show or a, or a popular news you know, agency. Yeah. It's interesting to, to kind of, find a way to legitimize podcasting. And I think that is uh, through writing a book sometimes. I think once you write a book, then you got other people that are you know, like news agencies and stuff might be asking you for an interview and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a good point. And you've got the, uh, the team there to do some pretty interesting work on the graphics front. I'm picturing some sort of graphic uh, e-zine vibe. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be really cool. Yeah, I do want to do more graphical stuff. So maybe some animation or something might be in the future as well. Yeah. Well, Jack, thanks for jumping on. I know we had some technical difficulties in the beginning, which is hilarious always when it comes to podcasting. But I just wanted a little peek into your your world and having you share that with my listeners. So I really appreciate you taking the time and a big fan of the work you're doing. Thanks, Harry. Nice meeting you. Thanks again to Jack for coming on the show. I know he's been pretty busy. And what I love is that he's just as interesting as I imagined he would be. I'm so grateful for him to give us a deep dive into the somewhat scary, sometimes scary world of uh, tech, cybersecurity. It's better to know what you're getting into. And I think uh, this episode probably has a, a lot of folks going back to figuring out how they manage their privacy and their profiles online. I just had an experience with that recently as well. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Learn more at cedarsoil.com. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, in their awesome lineup gear, specifically the Vocaster. Check out the full lineup at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Vocaster. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co about whether a podcast would be helpful for you and or your brand. Stay tuned next episode. I've got a great conversation with Roger Williams. He's the host of Crossing It Off podcast. Really fun conversation. Roger reached out to me after hearing my conversation with Kate Cherichello. So it's always fun as a podcaster when you can piece the threads together about how people are discovering the show. Really inspiring, really fun. And you'll be motivated to start your own crossing it off list after listening to that episode. So make sure you don't miss that. If you've made it this far, you're no doubt anxiously waiting the retention hashtag. Let's go with DarknetJack and be sure to tag us at podcast underscore junkies. And you can tag Jack at Darknet Diaries. Thanks again for all you do to support the show. Talk to you soon.